Enemy power-up detected. Seven Mech Warriors, and welcome to another incoming missile podcast. I'm back here with Coz and Indigo. How you doing, man? Good, man. How are you? Yeah, good. You've been watching any of the World Championship? I have. Have caught a couple of games. Seen our uh, Australasian compatriots uh, win one and lose one. So yeah, it's been been pretty exciting. Yeah, represented themselves really well. I thought. Uh, yeah, it's a tough. Oh, it's always tough going going up against EMP. I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they did really well in that first drop, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That um, that cap race that's um, important even in stock mix, I guess. And um, we'll be watching many more matches between now and when the podcast comes out. Um, but you know, depending on how they go, they were good, bad, just okay. You know, just delete as as required. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're current. We're current. Um, so the episode today, we're continuing with our balance series so this is episode four and if you haven't checked out the previous three you can go go ahead and listen to those we talk about mechs and maps and you know all the uh sort of in your face parts of balance that are typically discussed but this time we're going to be uh sort of tackling it from a slightly different angle because we're going to be talking about the big picture and so that is um you know the kind of decisions that pgi are making mostly behind the scenes um, that nevertheless have a massive impact on balance in the game. For example, you know, any kind of financial decisions or, um, you know, kind of decisions that go into keeping the game healthy and, and, and a viable product. Yeah. Some would say some of the most important decisions. Yeah. I mean, without, without those kind of decisions being made, then there's no game at the end of the day. Exactly right. (laughs) And um, speaking of balance, um, we are collecting your feedback on a number of mechs. Um, Cousin Indigo, uh, spearheading a what we're calling the mech register. How are you going with that? Not too bad. Yeah, we're up in over 120 responses. So uh, if you haven't checked that out, then please go in and do it. Now, there's two versions of the mech register out at the moment. Um, the one we talked about before, which uh, has... Uh, eight mechs that we are collecting your feedback on uh, and we've just released one for the Incubus. Uh, we're really keen uh, to get everyone's opinion on the Incubus uh, and then uh, talk a little bit about that. Uh, but if you haven't checked out the mech register, we are asking you some questions on the strengths and weaknesses of uh, eight different mechs. We're going to collate that feedback and then use that feedback to present a picture of uh, how good that mech is, um, why people think you should play it, uh, what type of roles it can do. So yeah, get in there, give us your feedback uh, for every entry um, you do, uh, puts you in the draw to win a mech pack. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll be closing that off uh, in the next week or so uh, and uh, making that draw. So yeah, do get in there please and uh, yeah, tell us what you think uh, covering uh, you know mechs that we think a lot of people will own. Uh, and yeah, once we've um, closed that off, uh, we'll collect that information and tell you how it's gone. Yeah, and the idea with um, collecting information in the Incubus is that we can, you know, look at those eight mechs and then apply that forward to these new mechs and say, well, how does it compare to, you know, the, these new mechs coming into the game? Is that right? Yeah, exactly right. Um, we did have a, a unit mate that made a, a, a pretty pretty good comment, I thought, um, that uh, the Incubus was trying to do what the uh, Wolfhound does, but, uh, you know, without the same kind of tankiness. So, you know, it's it's those kind of things that um, if we can show that most of the community think that way, you know, we can we can present that to people. And, and uh, if most people think that way, uh, you know, then it's uh, probably pretty true. So, yeah, we're just looking to bring that to you. So, uh, but we do need your opinion. So, yeah, yeah, do, um, do find that link uh, on Twitter uh, and uh, at IncomingP and uh, yeah, and fill that out for us. It'd be great to hear from you. So yeah, go ahead and fill that out. And and just to outline that bribery, I'm in the draw for, I think eight eight entries in the draw for me there, cousin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, pretty good. So you know, <laughs> we no, no one wants Captain Cat winning it. So yeah, make sure you get in there and get your uh, eight entries in as well. <laughs> hey, not no one. <laughs> and uh, we've just had a patch as well. Yeah, a few changes there. Any uh, anything in there that you thought was particularly relevant, Kevin? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, the, we had a, a, a few things that were pulled out of two point, uh, PTS 2.1 that were then uh, thrown in for this patch, uh, which was really nice to see. You know, I've been encouraging people to jump on and have a go um, if they haven't played for a while. A wave of uh, micro laser piranhas? <laughs> yeah, the piranha you thought it was bad before. <laughs> now it's not limited by ammo. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it really is a beast with the load, those uh, micropulse loadouts and things like that. Um, so get in there and have that a go, have a go at that. But um, also, I think uh, you know props to PGI for putting in those mobility changes that we've been begging them for. Uh, they make a big difference to how the Atlas feels um, amongst others. I mean the Thanatos is in there, Stormcrow's in there. Um, there's, there's a whole host of mechs. Just jump on the patch notes and have a look, see if your favourite mech was affected by that. Nice, you've taken the um, Thannies out for a spin yet, Kim? Actually, I haven't. I've been playing Incubus a lot. Thannies feel good. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep that in context. Then. What was that, sorry? Let's keep that in context, yeah. What was that, sorry? Yeah, the Thanatos <laughs> just feels excellent. So, yeah, talking about balance in these patch notes it seems to be a natural segue to talking about the big picture and these decisions being made by PGI behind the scenes and uh, let's let's launch into it. Yep, that's right. We've uh, covered the pilot, we've covered the mech and we've uh, covered the map. So yeah, now we're, we're on to the, uh, the big picture that uh, affects them all. All points attacking your target. All right, welcome back, Mech Warriors. We are going to begin the main topic of discussion. Uh, and as mentioned in the intro today, we are going to talk about some of the big picture decisions that uh, might influence balance. Uh, thus far, we have talked about uh, the player skill and the pilot, uh, the mech, and the and how the big stompy robot uh, could affect balance. Uh, and then in the last episode, we talk about the environment that the pilot and the mech uh, act in and how that can influence your performance and, and therefore balance decisions. So today, we're talking about those things that are external to uh, the in-game mechanics um, and um, the decisions and direction uh, that PGI take as a business, uh, and of course, some of the limitations and constraints uh, that they operate under. Uh, these things are pretty important obviously for uh, the business and can be pretty important and um, have a big influence on uh, the decisions that they make and therefore um, the balance of the game yeah so uh, i mean it's a kind of a warning up front i guess that um there's a bit more speculation required to be discussing these topics right yeah absolutely i mean we obviously aren't, aren't privy to any of the decisions that they make um and you know we all i guess try to deduce what the what the decision making process is like in the in the direction that they're taking uh, based on what we see um, but of course we can't know that and and um, you know they will always make decisions for reasons that we uh, you know that we won't be privy to so yeah it will be speculation rife <laughs> unlike the previous episodes we were able to talk about the things that we can actually see and experience in game and and look at number values and stuff like that this one that's yeah I mean we're all kind of making our own little internal logic chains. You see it all the time in discussion threads where people are saying, oh, you know, they've made this decision for this reason. But, you know, really when it comes down to it, it is just guesswork. So there's a, a few general areas that we are going to cover. Um, and uh, the first one, uh, loosely speaking, I guess, is the fact that um, PGI are a business and um, as a business, um, they do need to be viable, I guess. So what we mean by that is that they do need to uh, make money, um, as any business does. Um, and for it to stay afloat or for it to be successful, um, you know, they've, they've got to take a certain approach um, to the way that they make money. And one of the things that's most pertinent about uh, MechWarrior Online is that it is a free-to-play model. And, yeah, obviously that's the, the kind of first and fundamental um, big-picture uh, factor that will influence in-game balance. Yeah, and I mean the free-to-play thing. You can you can experience this game completely free-to-play, but you're gonna be doing a lot more work to do it. I mean, mech bays are probably the biggest thing you're gonna run up against the fastest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as you want other mechs, of course, you do need to get uh, mech bays, and you can win them and you can you can earn them. 
um, in game without having to um, part with money. But you know, I guess basically what we're getting at there is that it is really hard to progress um, in MechWarrior unless you do um, at least you know uh, stump up for some in-game currency. What you're alluding to here is that some of the decisions PGI make are going to be about the idea that this is a free-to-play game and that they want people to spend money on the game. Yeah, very much so. I'm, I'd go a step further and say that it has to be about that way. So uh, without the business being successful, there can't be any game. Free-to-play is a business model that most people will be familiar with. Um, obviously, it has blown up big time uh, with uh, smartphones uh, and the way that you can uh, you know, play games. Uh, but of course, you know there is other huge um, PC-based games um, like uh, League of Legends or World of Tanks, um, other uh, business, uh, other games that are based uh, on letting you download the game for free and play it, uh, but then establishing um, in-game currency and giving you reasons to uh, spend money on the game. Yeah, and it's also worth mentioning games that started out as being a purchase game and then converted to free-to-play later in the dev cycle. Yeah, so, I mean, it is obviously um, a you know it's growing in popularity uh, in the way that it's adopted and look the reason that we bring it up and the reason that it is so important is that with a free-to-play model uh, with a free-to-play business model uh, it does put you know some it does mean that you do have to take a, a slightly different approach to the way that you um, monetize um, and it comes down to a few different tactics uh, but effectively what you're trying to do is Um, give people reasons to uh, want to continue to play the game and want to spend money Uh, and that means keeping them there um, and that means kind of uh, getting a hook with them um, at some point. It's worth acknowledging again that um, MechWarrior is uh, fairly old now, you know, five years old and so that, that changes the decisions that PGI making as a business you know obviously maybe it's not obvious but you're not going to see um, major revisions from month to month in the game like they, they've got to put in the development work um, understanding that there'll be a certain amount of um, potential profit gain from that development work and if they're um, not gaining profit from the work then they're probably not going to do it yeah and even if it's like an intangible profit but still um they're not going to be pumping in content in the same level in a game of this age yeah i mean you've obviously hit on one of the first challenges with a uh, with a free-to-play business model in that if uh, someone is paying up front for a game um you know all the a lot of the dev stuff is done up front um and uh, you know they're gonna they're gonna see the return on investment straight away as as they sell units and and as they make money, um, you are um, getting people to pay and people want to be entertained. Whereas with a free to play model, say like Mequora, you've got to entertain them first and then they've got to choose to pay. Um, so it adds that that um, different level of challenge um, and you know a lot of what PGI will have to consider when they're making any changes or when they're doing anything is that kind of return on investment um, idea that you were talking about. How many developer hours, how many um, people hours, how many business hours are we going to put into this thing uh, and what do we expect the, um, you know, the, the payback on that to be? Exactly right. And um, perhaps you want to save this for the second um, question, but it's it, it means that as as a game – you need to include, almost gamify the idea of overcoming certain hurdles, you know, um, progression and things like that, and then allow people to have a way of circumventing that by paying money. Um, that you, you know, say so, um, MechBase, we talked about MechBase already. You can get MechBase by playing faction play and, you know, certain levels... Um, but as you level up in faction play, we'll, we'll give you a mech bay. Or you can, you know, wait for an event to pop around or, you know, giveaways here and there, those sort of things. But, you know, if you want to play this game long term, you're going to run into the mech bay cap all the time. And you're probably going to have to shell out a little bit of money here and there. And that's just one example of a sort of a mechanic that's been included in the game to try and get you to hand over a few dollars now and then. 
in the free-to-play world, um, the you know the the catchphrases around conversion rate, and they're looking at things that they can do to turn someone from a uh, playing player to a paying player, and, and things like mech bays or or putting gateways um, or other kind of restrictions on constraints um, that do uh, force or encourage you to you know buy the in-game currency, you know are decisions and, and tactics that, that um, you know, that type of business model have to have to introduce. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's games that want to have their cake and eat it too, where they, you know, first sell you the game for $80, $90 and then make you or want you to buy, you know, uh, cosmetic items and things like that within the game as well. Yeah. It's like your Call of Duty, Battlefield, things like that. Yeah, I mean, almost anything by EA these days. I mean, to to use a, a dirty word in the um in the microtransaction um, <laughs> world, but at least you didn't say Ubisoft. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you know, obviously, um, for for say a hybrid approach like that, where you do pay up front and then um, there's either microtransactions, uh, microtransactions uh, down the track or DLC, downloadable content. Um, or, or other reasons, um, you know, obviously there are some huge money makers out there um, like FIFA or or some of these other titles. But um, yeah, it, again, for a company that is running that hybrid model, um, again, they would have already made money from that 80 or $90 that they're charging for the game. Um, and, you know, their return on investment decisions, uh, you know, how much dev time they put into DLC or or other features, skins, cosmetic items, those kind of things, um, you know, w- will be probably a little bit easier to make uh, for someone like Piranha Games um, and MechWarrior. Um, yeah, that you know, they do have to think long and hard and be be very sure uh, about what kind of return on investment they're going to get back from what they input uh, because, again, people haven't already paid up front. And, you know, I, I think it's probably one of the things that we – as players or as the community, sometimes we can take for granted a little bit or just not quite understand that every decision that they make does have, you know, financial implications and any time you're going to make a change um, without understanding how difficult it is, you don't know how much time is going to be involved. And even though a change can seem simple, it might actually cost uh, a lot of uh, business hours developer hours, artist hours, all of those people that are involved. Um, and the free-to-play model in general comes with those kind of constraints uh, that the change or changes that you're going to make, you need to be able to show what kind of return on investment you're going to get from it. PGA must have a really hard time of, you know, working out, you know, if, if there's a certain amount of man hours required and making a certain change to the game, how much is that worth if it doesn't bring in money directly you know obviously so what i'm talking about it you put in a mech people buy it you know it's a transaction it's all quite easy to understand if you make a map how much is that worth to your game people aren't going to pay you out front for it but if you don't make any maps then you're going to lose players for every change that you make you're almost asking yourself how will it convert how will it impact my conversion rate with conversion rate being that metric of how do i convert a playing player into a paying player and there's there's retention as well i mean i think pgi is quite lucky in that they've seemed to have cornered a market in a group of people who um seemingly have quite a lot of disposable income um and are you know happy to spend money on this game but um yes i mean if you maybe a better example is something like a you know a change to how heat works you know like a heat scale change or something you put in a lot of dev work into your new idea about a heat system for the game that's gonna you know replace ghost heat and then people don't like it or or it just doesn't work for some reason the the idea that you had doesn't pan out the way that you were hoping. It's not easy to see how to fix it. And also, <laughs> if you've poisoned the players against it from a bit bad start, then, I mean, the, all that investment of people's time and coding and planning and, you know, all, all the um, dozens of staff members involved was all just down the drain for no gain, really. You've hit on what the fundamental um, 
challenge or the, the fundamental way that balance impacts this free-to-play model and that any balance changing changes you're making, you're making to, you know, stop dominant metas um, appearing, um, people to, you know, have fun, um, to, to really enjoy the game, you know, to be able to use different tactics and those kind of things. Basically, you're just keeping people playing, you know, and that's obviously one of the things that um, free-to-play models have to do. You know, everyone's probably familiar with it with mobile games um, and the way that they try and, you know, um, have you play for a short amount of time a day, you know, when you're on your break or whatever, but play often uh, for MechWarrior Online. They, you know, they want people to do the same things. They want people to, you know, maybe uh, play for a short amount of time, but play often. They want that retention in player base. But if you're going to make any change to balance, really, how that impacts your conversion rate is, um, yeah, but by keeping people playing. So if you do invest all that stuff into, say, heat change, like you were saying, you know, how's that going to, um, how is that going to to uh, keep people playing uh, or avoid them not playing? And if it doesn't work, you know, what's the rollback cost? All of those kind of things, you know, it, it introduces a level of challenge um, to this kind of business model that, yeah, I guess it's probably the main point that we're trying to make to the listeners is to understand just how tricky that might be. I mean, it's a, it's kind of a, it, a, um, though you can take a diversion in the conversation a little bit to talk about how, um, those kind of changes and, and, and stuff are not necessarily a hundred percent about balancing the game so much as keeping it fresh so that you can keep players around so that they keep, you know, keep investing in your product. So another thing to touch on around the um, free-to-play model and one of the things I guess that we will all be uh, familiar with is this um, idea of the uh, mech cycle, mech pack cycles. Um, you touched last time, or a couple of podcasts ago, um, Cat and Cat, around PGI in releasing new mechs that they may go through a process where they decide, you know, what's the relative power level of this mech and that it might actually be a marketing decision to, say, release the Vulcan or release the Incubus that might be good mechs, but they might not be a Piranha or a Death Strike. But that might actually be a marketing tactic that you use um, because you don't want every mech pack to come out and be pay to win or you don't want it to be OP. So the mech pack cycle becomes kind of one of the fundamental ways that uh, PGI are probably going to earn income from the game. Um, there, are, there is the microtransaction um, ideas with MC, with the in-game currency. Uh, but you'd have to think that they would get a regular hit of income via the mech pack um, cycle. So there's another big thing that's going to influence balance because not only do they need those um, mechs to come out and operate in that environment, uh, but they need to continue to give people reasons to buy those mechs, uh, meaning that they might have to make changes to the game or other things to encourage you to buy uh, a mech that's going to come out. Um, you know, you talked about uh, what they did to machine guns uh, in a uh, lead up to the Piranha. So, you know, the mech pack cycle becomes kind of another influence of the free-to-play model that it becomes a real big factor in regards to how balanced in the game looks. Yeah, right. And, and not only that, but you have to um, manage people's understanding of those changes and, and, and the perception of those changes in the community for because if you in in some ways if you just came out and out and said hey look we're nerfing machine guns now because the piranha's coming out people are going to be upset about that <laughs> because you know their favorite their favorite mech has you know three machine guns on it and it's a marginal build and now that's a it's a really good point. If I can just hit on that one, it's one of the things, as you say, that must be really really tricky to manage. Is that it is free to play, and if you, it would be really hard to come out and say we're making this decision um, for fiscal reasons, you know, because we, you know, we want to remain viable, so it um, it benefits us if um, you know machine guns get nerfed or or whatever, um, but the player base and the perception of them in the community, kind of the, the PR aspect, it would be, you know, really, really difficult. People, as you say, would, you know, would be up in arms. Mm, yeah, especially if, if, you know, you take people's toys away, they're always going to be upset, which is fair enough. But at the same time, they've got to be making, like you've said, making smart business decisions um, and, and 
remaining profitable as a company. That becomes one of the fundamental points here is that to remain fiscally viable, to remain as a business, for there to be a game, a MechWarrior game, um, for us to be able to play, the business does need to make money. And that's kind of one of the things that we need to understand. And I guess, you know, people will maybe disagree with the method um, or they will assume that they know the intention or the decisions that PGI are making. Uh, but ultimately with with this um, free-to-play business model, you know, uh, the, the community probably do need to understand that there, there are going to be some decisions that, you know, that, that are influenced more by the fact that uh, they do need to make money from stuff. So I'll throw a couple of things at you, uh, I guess, just to play devil's advocate here. Obviously, we need to understand that they do need to make money. But some of the things that make free-to-play games successful are things like uh, the game is immediately accessible. You know, it needs to be a game that the new players can pick up really quickly because that gives a free-to-play game. <laughs> yeah. Okay, exactly right. So, you know, is that an area where um, <laughs> is that an area where you think it's a, a something that uh, maybe isn't going so well for Macquarie? Well, I mean, we've come a long way, baby. Uh, but uh, it, I mean, when I started playing, there was yeah, uh, the Mech Lab UI was atrocious. Um, there was no tutorial whatsoever there was barely any tooltips or there was no tips on anything um you really needed someone to hold your hand you know a mate to to say look this is what you've got to do this is how you play the game nowadays we have a much more um intuitive ui um there is a tutorial that at least teaches you the basics of the game um, for free-to-play games, though, I mean, they need to make that process as easy as possible. So if you are sending players um, or if they have to go to YouTube or, or their mates, I mean, that does work. Um, that doesn't work in PGI's favour to keep people on board. I mean, I don't know if Captain Adams um, and his words are quiet enough, if you know what I mean, to, <laughs> to prepare you to face Proton and, and some of these other players when you get in there. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's... Well, what I was that was leading up to, to a but, what I said which is, um, but this game is very dense. The mechanics of it are, uh, yeah, it, the the road to learning is a, is a cliff. Um, and, you know, the more you dig into the mechanics of the game, the less you realize you understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, so, it, it, I mean, that, that, that comes down to the depth and, and um, of the, of the history of 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 the franchise you know that it comes from tabletop and then there's a lot of stuff that comes from their mechanics and things like that and through all the mech warrior series and and to where we are today that there's a lot there and hopefully people that come have played one of those other games because that'll make it a hell of a lot easier for them but if they haven't even with the tutorials you know you don't get shown how to build a mech yeah you don't get told what is a good mech in fact, the mix that you get put into are the exact, a perfect example of what not to do. You know, the atlas that you start in has one of every kind of weapon and <laughs> and and also just don't bring an atlas. Although they're a lot better at following the recent patch, but still, yeah. don't bring an atlas. Um, <laughs> don't buy an atlas as your first mix. <laughs> what if I want to learn? No. <laughs> you'll, you'll only be disappointed. I want to get the one from the tutorial. <laughs> but of course, we've, you know, you're exactly right. And it, it takes ages to learn the game and you you almost have to go. Th I'm still learning. There's that trial by fire almost. Um, and, you know, yeah, the the curve to get to a point to where you are get good, um, you know, it is pretty steep. Um, for me, I've been playing almost two years and, and you know, I'm still potato level. Um, but MechWire is almost battling the three key things, three of the key principles for free, for free to play models is that it's immediately accessible, which MechWire is MechWire Online isn't. You need to lead players by the hand, so you need to really show them what they need to do um, so that they can get hooked. And then the third thing is that you need to make it as easy to understand and as easy to use as possible. Um, and yeah, I guess we would all agree that MechWire Online um, doesn't doesn't really have any of those things going for it. So you're mm. almost limiting mm. straight away uh, the type of person that's going to stick with the game, that's going to play the game, um, and there's eventually going to hit that point um, that you want where they convert from free-to-play to that they're paying to play. Mm. You know, do, do you think that that's influencing the balance picture, the fact that it's um, 
you know, it is quite hard to grow the population because of those kind of um, gateways to entry. Oh, for sure. It's probably a victim of what we've already spoken about, about the, you know, the fact that to to put all those, um, you know, tutorials and, and you know, hand-holding into the game would require a number of man hours. And at some point, someone's decided that that wasn't worth it. Yeah. And certainly at this point in the game's um, life, you know, it's even less less worth it than it was at up front. But yeah, it is. It's yeah, it, it it would make a huge difference. To, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the game that's completely obfuscated, and and the only way to to find out the answers to some of the questions of, you know, f- for example, when I put ammo in my mech, where is it drawn from first, and in what order? You have to go search the internet. You ha- you'll find stuff that's outdated and wrong hopefully you'll find the stuff that's you know current and correct but you have to go digging for it and some stuff people just don't even know what the answers to those kind of questions might be some of them it is a uh, barrier i think to making the free-to-play model successful and therefore um you know i think it influences the balance picture uh and that you don't have this um the 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 population um, that other games might have, and in particular, you don't necessarily have the turnover of population. So as people grow, drop off, um, go to play other games, um, you know, new new people coming mm. on board, and and I think that does affect the balance picture because um, you have the people that are in there have um, passed through that trial by fire. Uh, they tend to probably know a lot about the game. I know, you know, there's probably people out there raging and talking about NASCAR and potatoes, but generally speaking, I think the community is pretty well informed. um, And that becomes another kind of tricky aspect to balance because you don't necessarily uh, have that a large population or a turnover of population. You are dealing with a a, a pretty informed player base um, when you're going through and and having to make those balance changes. For sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's bound to be, it may even be a majority of people in the game who are happy just to play and to never learn a lot mm. of, you know, intricacies of the mechanics of the game, quite honestly. You know, they just go in and they build their mech however they like and then go have a few games and then drop off. And then they don't feel like digging into those, you know, obfuscated, as I say, mechanics, hidden stuff. They never find out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be interesting. And I guess um, what you're hitting what you're hitting on there is kind of another um, key principle for making a free-to-play model successful is that you need to have really good analytics and data that tell you about player behavior. And I don't know whether PGI do have this, so, you know, I really, really hope they do. But if they were able to, exactly like you were saying, if they knew that a massive amount of the, well, they, they knew the size of the population that were, um, drop casual I guess you know that they log on play a couple of games come back that they just like the feeling of a stompy robot and they are not as um, concerned about some of that granular detail and I kind of throw myself into that category right like I, I drop a lot in, in um, solo queue because I love to jump on for a couple of games you know and um, and then bug out um, but understanding what behaviors go behind the player experience in particular what leads them from being free to play to paying i mean that's the stuff that pgi would need to understand a lot and if casual players for example um don't often convert into paying players then that's something that pgi would probably want to target or uh, you know make some changes um or, or make balance changes that aren't geared towards the people that are, are drop casual and stuff like that mm. or, or to turn that on its head to to make changes that um pander to people who are paying Conversion rate is something that um, you would hear a lot of uh, with, you know, massive games like League of Legends. Um, And the benefit that something like League of Legends would have is that they've got a massive, massive population, right? So their conversion rate doesn't need to be huge. So they might only have 5% of their population um, that spends money. Um, But if your population is 5 million or 40 million or whatever, um, then that 5% is enough to sustain you as a business. For PGI... Um, and the population being smaller, let's for argument's sake say that we're playing with 30,000 players in the community. I don't know what the the actual figures are. You could do with a small conversion rate if the uh, amount spent per player is high. Uh, And and those are the kind of figures I think that PGO are probably pretty plugged into. And 
again, some of the balance figures, uh, the balance decisions that you might have, as you say, if they are pandering to the the people that do sustain uh, the business. Um, you know, again, you can understand that as well. I mean, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we get back to thirty thousand. I think it was about twenty thousand last month. But um, yeah, um, I, you know, I I use my friends list as a rough guide, and it it seems like the player numbers are up a little bit since the latest patch. So that's a good sign. Hopefully we can maintain. But um, it's I th- I think in 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 any game, League of Legends, you know, Path of Exile, in any free to play game, you you have whales, and I think in in you know. PGI's biggest strength has always been that the, the the number of whales that are in this community that you know you, there was plenty of gold mechs around when they were you know a five hundred dollar option I saw I, I saw quite a lot um and there's people out there who just buy every single thing that comes out as a, as a matter of course um and that that that's a boon to a small company like PGI um. But I think that's true for any free-to-play game. You'll have people who are happy to spend, you know, five thousand dollars a year on your game, and then you'll have people who, you know, grudgingly give you a couple of bucks now and then, <laughs> and then everything in between. One of the things that, that the community probably need to understand is that in the world of free-to-play, it can be really hit and miss. Like even for the games that have had massive success, um, like League of Legends or or World of Tanks, there's not a lot of solid research that shows why they're successful sometimes games just hit and you know mech warrior is one of those ones where it probably does rely on you know people that are invested in the in the universe for other reasons you know played previous games and those kind of things so yeah you know sometimes it would mean that you you do need to make decisions or pander to those people that uh, are whales or beached whales um, in the case of if you're a Kiwi. But um, yeah, you know, <laughs> that, that they do need to factor in those guys as their um, primary source of income. Oh, beach stairs. Oh, beach stairs. One thing I will um, say that's kind of another key principle, and I think this is something that Mekwari do really, really well, is businesses need to keep something that's called an open loop. And that, that open loop is where you are giving people a reason to play. And I think there's a um, mm. the complexity and the collectability uh, involved with Mech Warrior um, is a real attractive um, part. I, I quite like just having a little challenge, a mini challenge to the, for the day or whatever, something that I, you know, some reason to play, some reason to play a different mech or um, to have a look at the mechs that are in my mech lab that are sort of gathering dust and be like, well, you know, I don't, don't, haven't looked at this thing for a long time and I need to use it to get this event. So what am I going to do with it? Uh, Everyone will know the term hooks and, um, you know, if you've, played a role-playing game like D&D, you'll know all about adventure hooks. Um, you know, there's all these things that are drawing you in and giving you a reason to play. And the free-to-play models, it has to have hooks because if there's not hooks, um, there's not that. Um, in psychology, there's um, something called the mere ownership effect. And what that means is that if you have paid for something, um, then you're more likely to see uh, value in it and you're, you're more likely to evaluate goods mm. that you've paid for is positive, is worthwhile. Um, and so free-to-play kind of runs up against that barrier straight away that if there's not those hooks there, um, you know, it, yeah, there's not necessarily the same reason to go in and play. And so the collectability, those things that you were saying, reasons to dust off mechs that have been sitting there in the um, in the mech lab for a while, uh, that's the kind of thing that I think PGI actually do that pretty well. And uh, again, I am constantly coming to the game and finding new reasons to play, new things to do. Um, and yeah, that's great. That's something that I really enjoy. All right, Kat, so I think we've um, talked a little bit about um, the business model that PGI run with uh, MechWarrior and, and free-to-play uh, and how the decisions that are associated with making money may also influence the balanced decisions that you see in-game. The uh, Once we are in-game, though, uh, or, or once it is working well and it is uh, fiscally viable, uh, I think we can see that there is some... Uh, strategic direction that PGI are taking. It's almost the way that they want the game to progress or develop um, from a strategic level. And I guess the things that I'm um, talking about, particularly from the balance point of view, is something that that Paul um, talked about in the uh, NGNG TV podcast. Uh, And those are strategic influences like um, time to kill, 
So they, they obviously want time to kill to be in a certain place and they make balanced decisions based on that. Um, and they want they also want parity uh, across the factions, across IS and clan, and they want parity across the weight classes. So those three factors, those three strategic decisions are pretty influential. They're things that we do hear about and Paul has talked about and they're probably things that are uh, most proximate to us when we're looking at balanced decisions. So it um, often seems to us as though those strategic decisions about the way they want the game to be, uh, the time to kill um, and the parity, seem to be a really big factor in what the balanced picture looks like. I mean, how do you think on that? Do you think that um, mm. that, that is the directions that they should be going in? Um and if so, is the current balanced decisions that we are seeing supporting those? I mean, it's a big question, and it's um, it's those those sort of three things: time to kill, parity across the factions, and parity across the weight classes, are something that I have seen again and again. People disagree on. <laughs> you know, you'll get one of those conversations, and you'll say, and and I'll see it say, of course, the IS and clan are not balanced, and then. Both people say it's IS that um that are OP or it's clan that are OP, and it's <laughs> there sort of seems to be there's not really a consensus um picture in the community at least um in the in the wider community about where those things should be for time to kill uh you know some people want the games to be snappier and shorter and other people want them to be long and drawn out and you feel like a tank that can just make lots of mistakes and um take lots of damage but you know you've got so much armor that you're going to get away with it and, you know have a long game kind of thing so that's one that people disagree on the parody across the two factions you know i've seen people saying both both factions need nerfs and then the weight classes i mean it's fairly clear that assaults and things can dish out massive amounts of damage and and lights have a pretty rough time of it um for the most part but you know what what does it mean for those those weight classes to be balanced well you know get a light versus an assault and the light can win if if you come at them from the right angle and you know manage to stay on their back for long enough and they you know isolated it's it's an interesting one that one i mean I, I, I tend to say that um, the, the the lights and mediums have a pretty hard time of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. F for me, I think those things hook into um, some of the things that we were saying earlier, that the, the reason that you'd want parity across the factions and the reason that you want parity across the weight classes uh, is you do want people to have a reason to play the mechs, um, to collect them, um, and that all feeds into the, to the free-to-play thing, right? So... Um, part of the economy is converting you know free to to pay um and so if lights suck and no one wants to play them then it's probably going to be hard to sell a mech pack for lights um if clan are stomping is um you know people are probably going to only want to buy clan mech packs and those kind of things um and with time to kill uh again that kind of comes down to player experience, I think, and that you, um, you know, you want people to feel as though they are in big stompy robots, and so you know, a, a decent length of time to kill, you know, is gives the greater verisimilitude that you're in a big stompy robot, and um, it's not Call of Duty or, or PUBG where one headshot can can drop you. Although, I, although I guess you can get dropped by one head, headshot if it's um if it's good enough. But so I guess probably the the question that I had for you is. If those, if strategically you're looking at that parity and time to kill as ways to, um, you know, best support the business model, does that cause too much grief when you're trying to balance so much? Where when it causes so much balance problems, it does. And it, um, I was kind of building up to a bit of a conclusion with that little bit of a wrap up on those three points, which was to say, I think because there's a lot of contention about whether those just those examples, this isn't all of the things, but, you know, this is three examples. Um, there's a lot of contention about, you know, it's this way or it's that way. It's a, it's, it's kind of gives me reason to say, well, we can't have a design by committee process for developing this game. 
you know, there does need to be a strong leadership from the game developers to say, this is what we want the time to kill to look like, because, you know, you can make arguments that it should be longer. You can make arguments that it should be shorter. This is what Mm -hmm. we want the parity of the factions to look like. Again, arguments either way and the weight classes. So, I mean, it's all, it's all well and good to have your say and to say, I think that this, this is being gone about the wrong way, but in the end, we needed the strong leadership of the game developer to put it to where they want it to be. Otherwise it's, you know, there's no way to pander to everyone and every opinion, you know, and it's not just that good players have the right opinion because, you know, you can easily find two good players that disagree with each other on these points. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a tricky one. And it, and it definitely does affect, to, to, to answer your question, it does does affect the balanced decisions and it's a, and it's a prickly um, subject for exactly that reason because it's quite emotive. Um, people get, people are quite invested in their way of seeing how the game should be and um, we don't all agree, which is fine. It's fine that we don't agree on it, but it makes it a tricky you know, if, if you're putting out a balance pass that um, favors one side of the argument, then it's going to upset the other side. Yeah, it's such a good point what you were saying about, um, you know, we're limited in the decisions by committee thing. I think that's a, such a good point, um, you know, for our listeners to take on board because you're right, two things can be true. You can have two good players or two groups of people um, that are talking about what the parity should look like, what the time to kill should look like, or even what strategic direction the game should be going in. And two different opinions can be true. And ultimately, what you just need is to pick what direction you're going in. Um, and as you say, sometimes that um, needs leadership to do that because if you do if you do it uh, by committee, um, then it, you can just end up getting nowhere. And then it's, you know, the game has to be successful and therefore there has to be that direction there. Um, but of course, you know, that's what causes so much contention for everyone is that they either judge the decision, uh, the direction and the decisions being made and they disagree with it um, or they think those aren't the decisions that, um, you know, all the things that should be getting focused on. Mm. So that's a, that's a design principle, right? The, the idea of design by committee is not a good thing. <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not coming up with that term now, and and that's that's how you get you know the Homer Simpsons you know whatever he called his car. Powerful like a gorilla, yet soft and yielding like a Nerf ball. Now at last, I have found it. Yeah, that's how you end up with the uh, the Homer Simpsons car that he designed. Is you know it's it's trying to you know have every feature and um you know <laughs> be a bit of everything. And, and that's kind of what, what leadership is, to be honest. Um, you know, good leadership is listening to the people who can provide you with the information, um, taking on board, in this case, your community's feedback and that, what they want, and then making a decision. And that's the leadership. That's the leadership part is when you make the decision. You know, you should still listen to the people, you know, your advisors. A good king listens to his advisors, but in the end, he says, <laughs> what it is that we're going to do with our armies or whatever it's uh it's otherwise you just yeah end up with a hodgepodge that pleases nobody yeah and i guess probably what we're trying to uh, point out to everyone as we um delve in the, into this discussion on balance is that these strategic decisions and and the leadership leadership choices that are made you know they'll they'll overarch everything. So they'll overarch the decisions around matchmaking, around uh, mechs. They'll they'll uh, talk about changes to the environment, but they form the the widest reaching and the most fundamental part. And when we talk about this as a big picture, these are the things that players kind of need to understand that the uh, business does need to to be fiscally viable and it is free to play. So that brings some challenges in there. And as you say, we can't have design by committee. We need to have a direction for the game. And whether you disagree with it or not, it has to be there for the game to survive as well. And therefore, what we see to balance um, and even the approach to balance, um, you know, gaining data through player performance and then using that data to uh, influence, um, you know, parity across the factions, parity across weight classes and time to kill all comes down to just a, a leadership choice that PGI have made to 
you know, keep keep the game successful. Mm. And there's definitely decisions being made that are financial in nature that we don't get an insight into. And so sometimes the decision making can seem strange or um, counterintuitive because we don't have all the the whole picture. You know, I mean, no doubt people were going to screw up sometimes and make a wrong, bad decision that goes down the wrong path. But on the other hand, we don't know all outcomes of all decisions. We we can't tell what would have happened if that decision would, would have been made with it, would have, how it would have worked out. Yeah. And some of that stuff you simply can't be privy to. You know, the, the, the business needs to hold on to those decisions um, to protect its property mm. and, and to not kind of cede any advantage to anyone else in the market. Look, it's a brilliant segue though, Kat, if we were to think about ways, given that we understand the limitations for what we can know, and we're only speculating against um, how PGI operate and and um, you know how much these constraints are relevant to them or not. But are there things that you know you could think of, even given these constraints, that PGI could do better? Uh, again, it's been a, a long road to get to where we've got to now, which is in, the, in um, you know a vast improvement in terms of communication and things like that. Um, uh, we get we get little blurbs with our patch notes now that tell us why the decisions are being made, um, and, and and you know just as one example that is relatively new. Nevertheless, we, we could we could see and hear more about um, what PGI are doing, um, what they're planning for the game on a more regular basis than, you know, once a year at Metcon. We need to come up with a way that people can get their say, feel like they can have their say, um, and, and have it acted on with PGI. Currently, the most effective vehicle uh, Mech Warriors have found to get the changes that they want made into the game is with uh, to grab their pitchforks and uh, start marching on the on the castle um the flaming brands and such forth because we we see direct results from that people cancel pre-orders you know do write reams of text on um reddit and in the forums and um you know and it's effective those the patch that we didn't like goes away or gets changed or the mech gets uh, something, some feature, some quirk or whatever that it needs. Um, you know, uh, some stat changes, weapons change. Um, it works. And I think that's not healthy long-term. I mean, it works, but I think ideally, <laughs> hopefully we can all agree that ideally there'd be a, a, a a more positive way of of feeling like you're getting heard and um you know those the the community sentiments are being acted on is there a way that um you know pgi could could get ahead of the twitter lynch mobs or all these you know outrage bubbles uh, that that people engage in i think um maybe being more explicit about where the patch changes are coming from if they're coming from community feedback i mean it maybe hurts your ego a little bit to say so but i mean if i don't think there's any harm and I, th- I think there's a lot to gain in fact in saying we've heard you you want this and we're putting it in the game because of that that's what people want to hear the mobility buffs that we've put into the game last month were because people have been asking for it and do you think if if players maybe understood that the changes were you know, more coherent or, or they could see the coherence, they could see how they supported, you know, whatever strategic direction uh, PGI want to take the game in. Do you think they'd be more accepting of uh, when, when those changes did happen? For sure. For sure. I mean, the hard thing is getting, getting the people on board with your strategic direction in the first place, because if they're not on board with that, then you're going to have a really hard time selling it to them patch patch by patch so that's a really good point so so getting them on having them understand what the strategic direction is i, I guess that's why um although it was uh, it was long and, and some people maybe didn't get some of the finer points that's why i thought the discussion around faction play um was a good one the the um, podcast that um paul did uh, because yeah you know it spoke directly to feedback that um that had been collated on the forums 
uh, and then talked about kind of where they wanted to head with it. I, you know, I thought that kind of thing is a is a nice way to um, you know tap people into um, you know where you want to take it. And it sets people's expectations as well for the kinds of, you know, we're talking about um, changes being fiscally uh, realistic <laughs> or, or being made with that in mind. Um, you know, the people asking for for changes in the in in the faction warfare thread um, that would have required hundreds of hours of of dev time. It's just not going to happen because the money's not, money's not in it. You know, why would they spend all that money doing that? They're not gaining anything from that. So, but there is changes that they can make to make it better that don't require hundreds of hours, and those are the ones that you know a smart person would do first. We can't, we can't do this massive, you know, overarching change to faction warfare that changes everything and requires hundreds of man or thousands of man hours. But we can do these things, and the the this set of ideas that people have put in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and like I appreciated in that podcast where Paul talked like about that very things, like perhaps these limitations with the engine that they use. Um, you know, I'm not an IT guy, so some of that stuff, you know, I don't necessarily understand, but I get less frustrated with hitting invisible walls in Polar when Paul explains the difference between a collision layer and you know, the, the other layer, I can't even remember the name, but yeah, you know, perhaps that um, that effort to get people to understand the strategic direction and, and you know, get them buy in, get them to buy into where it's going. Um, and then, you know, an emphasis or demonstrate that the changes are coherently moving towards the direction that you've talked about, um, you know, could, could be a good way for people to understand um, how balance is influenced by all these strategic things that we're talking about. And I guess another part of that is um, the public test servers as well. You know, that's another vehicle too. I mean, you know, one aspect of, of of putting out a podcast like that is not just to say, you know, this is what we're doing, but to also gauge feedback on that. You know, this is what we're doing. And then listen, what do people think of that? Do they love that idea? Is it worth it to, you know... A, do people like the idea enough for us to spend the money developing all those features? You know, is there a particular set of features that are getting um, hyped and and talked about? Because those are the ones, you know, that they're probably going to do. I mean, you, you talked about it, about the um, PTS collecting not only quantitative data, uh, and we've, because we've kind of talked about maybe some of the limitations, you know, you're getting only a certain type of data in the PTS, but you talked about the PTS also collecting qualitative data. So gauging that opinion and, you know, mm. yeah, I mean, the forums do that to a degree, but I don't know if they, you know, necessarily um, do it as well um, as could be. But I guess whatever way it is done, um, if the PTS involved both the quantitative and those qualitative aspects, I think PGI would get, would get much more out of them. So I've actually got a, a conspiracy theory about that. A conspiracy theory. Yeah, the PTS on its surface is about, um, hey, we've made these changes. Go drive those mechs and we'll look at the numbers and decide whether it's working or not. That's the rhetoric that we see. Realistically, I think, you know, in a 4v4 environment um, with people picking random crap and um, potentially not playing around with the things that are being tested at all um, and low player numbers and all those kind of factors that we all have heard about and talked about before, you're not going to get great data from that. What I think the PTS is really about is about gauging player feedback. You know, you get to go in there, you get to try your favorite mech or you get to try a build or you get to try this and that and then pgi listen to the feedback that comes out and say are people on board with this change how popular or how unpopular is it going to be if we put that in because they might want to put it in even if it's unpopular but as long as it's not where really crazy too unpopular <laughs> if it suits their needs so yeah that's that, that's my little conspiracy theory on uh, public test server so um, one thing that um, I think 
I, I've suggested before, and I think uh, would be really cool, is if um, instead of these sort of sporadic um, PTS events that we have that are fairly um, low hit rate, you know, not that m- many people go to the trouble of downloading the the second client and installing it, getting set up, copying across all their profile, if they're smart enough to know how to do that, or copying across all their profile if they're clever enough to know, to know that you can do that, or um, or just setting it up all manually, you know, your mouse settings or your keyboard settings, all that kind of stuff needs to be set up on the PTS again. So there's a lot of barriers to getting involved in a PTS. Um, what I really like the idea of and I've heard it from another game developer that they do, is they have these sort of mutation weekends where occasionally um, like you could do it on the same weekend of the month, like the last weekend of the month. Um, you have a mutation in the game, and it can be fun, or it can be, you know, add a, a whole new uh, flavor into the balance of the game. Uh, it can be as far-reaching as, as you like, as you... Uh, as you can afford the dev time for, um, but it should be it should be limited by you know the things that you can change by changing an XML file, you know number value stuff, as much as possible, um, and then that's just the that's just what the live version is for that time. Make it really obvious that that's what you're playing. You know this weekend is going to be, you know this you know different experience, and um, you know incentivize people to jump on and play that. And that should be that'd be a really great vehicle for testing out stuff. People are going in; it's fairly low stakes, you know. If it's a monthly thing, everyone's expecting it. Um, uh, you, you know, it's just a, a matter of course, so to speak, that it happens every month, and 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 it's not necessarily going to be, you know. I think people put a lot of weight on those public test servers because they're that's what's the game's going to be now, whereas you know it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be. Here's an idea that we have. It might not work in its current form, but we want to test it out how it is and then make changes. But people react because they think, if I don't freak out now, I'm going to have to live with this thing. But if it was just a matter of course, and if they were maybe a little bit fun sometimes, but not quite so serious, you know, you have a Halloween one or whatever, I don't know, um, then it would um, mitigate some of that um, emotion being invested in that, and it would also, um, you know, you'd get a, a lot larger sample size if you just made it your live version. And um, yeah, just test things, try things. You know, have someone at the office has an idea of of a, a balance change that you could do. Try it out. You know, if it if it doesn't completely break the game, you can you can do a little bit of internal testing, make sure that it does, isn't a game breaking change. Otherwise, yeah. Chuck it in the game on that day or that weekend, and see how it plays. See what people think of it. In those mutations, I guess um, you know you could uh, try uh, community-led feedback. You know, if, if uh, the community says uh, you know you need to drop the ghost heat level on AC twenties, uh, they could try that out for a weekend. I guess it would help with the coherence as well. You know, those kind of regular changes and those regular tests, people would become. Uh, yeah, more used to the idea that um, that there's the continual improvement process happening. Mm. Yeah, exactly right. And I mean, you know, you, you you it's a low stakes environment where, you know, you're putting something into the game. Say there's a community thing, like you say, AC20. You should be able to fire two at a time. Um, people, if you just leave it at that as a discussion, people are going to argue back and forth about that. Just give it a go. You know, and if it doesn't work, you can say, we tried it, didn't work. I like it. Look, you all saw. Mm. Which leads perfectly on to saying, um, you know, if you have any ideas about uh, any of the things that we've said, any of the, you know, topics that we've discussed and suggestions we've made, um, send them through to us. We'll have a read and and, and um, comment on those and maybe bring them up for discussion in the podcast. All right, so I think we've covered off a bit there, uh, Cap. Uh, it is, you know, can be a little bit more esoteric when we're talking about uh, these kind of big picture things, but, you know, it is 
behooves us as players, I guess, that um, before we to get get too grumpy about some of that other stuff, uh, that we do understand just how fundamental these things are to the game. Uh, you know, these decisions and and the leadership and and the the balance uh, changes that happen. Uh, we'll typically be going through these filters first around uh, kind of the the fiscal viability and the free to play challenges, uh, and of course, kind of what the strategic direction is. Um, that, that leadership have decided so yeah once you kind of understand this perspective I think it can um, make it much much easier to understand some of those other uh, drivers of performance and balance that we talked about in the other podcasts all right so um, thanks for listening again Mac Warriors and uh, yeah hope your uh, games are good and uh, yeah we'll catch you next time catch you on the battlefield If you did enjoy this content, then your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can support us in a multitude of ways. You can go to Patreon, Incoming Missile Podcast, and support us there. We have uh, three different tiers of support, or of course you can uh, donate one-off amounts, and any in-game content um, that you could donate to us would also be greatly appreciated. We very much want to hear your feedback, so be sure to reach out to us on our multitude of channels. You can follow us on Twitter at IncomingP. You can reach us via email at Incoming Missile Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and please subscribe to us on YouTube. That's Incoming Missile Podcast. So, just a quick reminder to check out the MEC register. You can find the link to that Google form at our Twitter account. And just remember, you can fill that form out up to eight times. Each time you do fill it out is another entry to win. So, do get in there, tell us what you think about the MECs that we are featuring, uh, and allow us to collate that information into something useful. Uh, and you may just get a MEC pack out of it. We look forward to hearing from you. We appreciate you listening and we'll catch you next time. Shutdown sequence initiated.